Our Bible readings for this morning are taken from Acts and 1 Thessalonians. Firstly, Acts chapter 17, verses 1 to 9. After Paul and Silas had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days argued with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This is the Messiah, Jesus, whom I am proclaiming to you. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews became jealous, and with the help of some ruffians in the marketplace, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. While they were searching for Paul and Silas to bring them out of the assembly, they attacked Jason's house. When they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some believers before the city authorities, shouting, These people who have been turning the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has entertained them as his guests. They are all acting contrary to the decrees of the emperor, saying that there is another king named Jesus. The people and the city officials were disturbed when they heard this, and after they had taken bail from Jason and the others, they let them go. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 1 to 10 Paul, Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers, constantly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labour of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters beloved by God, that he has chosen you, because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of persons we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for in spite of persecution you received the word with joy, inspired by the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has become known, so that we have no need to speak about it. For the people of those regions report about us what kind of welcome we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols, to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath that is coming. Turning the world upside down. It is probably no exaggeration to say that, globally speaking, humanity is currently living through the greatest and most widespread social upheaval in living memory. The coronavirus pandemic is touching every society, every culture and every continent, and its economic and social impact could in the long run be as significant as the world wars of the 20th century, with the changes in society that result being, in many cases, irreversible. It's too early to speculate definitively on what has been lost and what has been gained. That will be the task of historians of another day. But from the perspective of those of us currently confined to our homes, the world is, to coin a phrase, being turned upside down. And we know that this is not an easy thing for us to live through. The feelings of disempowerment, fear and anxiety are stress-inducing. And whilst many are seeking to find meaning through acts of service or charity towards those less fortunate than themselves, others are angry and seeking someone to blame.
Within the last couple of weeks, there have been anti-lockdown protests in India, Germany, Brazil and the United States. And support for alternative or conspiracy theories as to the origin of the virus are proliferating online. The world being turned upside down is not comfortable and nor is it easy. It is threatening and capable of triggering disproportionate responses both individually and societally. Just as Paul, Jason and the others in Thessalonica discovered for themselves in the middle of the first century. The narrative lectionary takes us this week into the world of the early Christian church planting and missionary movement and we encounter these early pioneers proclaiming the gospel of Christ and discovering to their cost that the simple statement that Jesus is Lord is actually a world-shaking utterance. To understand this, we need a bit of context. Thessalonica was a major port city in what is now northern mainland Greece, and in the first century it was the capital of the Roman province of Macedonia. Everything about the city, its religious, political and social life, was built around the mythology and ideology of the Roman Empire. Its citizens worshipped the emperor alongside the other Roman gods. They benefited from the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, with the Roman army permanently garrisoned in the town. And its economic and social life revolved around the trade from its prosperous port, trading with the far-flung territories of the empire. If you were a citizen of Thessalonica, you were part of a carefully constructed synthesis of religion, politics and economics. Mess with that at your peril. As with other ancient cities, there was also a small local Jewish population with a synagogue for Sabbath worship. The Romans typically allowed the Jews some measure of freedom of religion, and Paul often started with the synagogue when he arrived in a new city to plant a church there. But what's unusual about Thessalonica is that there also appears to have been a large number of non-Jews who were nonetheless attracted to the Jewish faith. Acts calls them devout Greeks in verse 4 of our reading. What happens next in the story is that whilst Paul has limited success in converting the Jews in the synagogue to believing in Jesus, a large number of the devout Greeks join him. It kind of makes sense. These are people who want to follow the Jewish God but can't do so fully because they're not ethnically Jewish. And then along comes this Greek-speaking Jewish preacher called Paul, saying that the God of Israel has reached out beyond the Jews to include the Gentiles through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can see why they would follow his teaching. However, from a Roman perspective, this is a dangerous path to tolerate. The Jews were granted toleration because they were a non-proselytising people. They didn't seek to make converts of the Gentiles. But here we have a dangerous breakaway sect from Judaism, which is aggressively conversionist in its ideology, seeking converts not just from within Judaism, but from the Gentile world too. And the problem is that converting to the worship of Jesus as Lord is not just a religious commitment. It has other far-reaching ramifications. We've heard how religion, politics and economics were inextricably interwoven in the society of Thessalonica. And to change one aspect of that was to risk unravelling the whole thing. If people started worshipping Jesus as Lord, they would stop worshipping the Emperor as Lord. And then the Roman armies would have to step in and the trade that hinged on the empire would be threatened. And before you knew it, the whole of society was unravelling. It's no wonder that the disgruntled Jews from the synagogue 
joined with Gentiles from the city to hunt down Paul's associates to try and silence them. They were turning the world upside down. And so we have this show trial of Jason and his friends, who have to pay bail to get their freedom back, a stark warning of what will happen to those who threaten the status quo of the empire. But the thing is, Paul and his friends wouldn't be silenced. Even after leaving Thessalonica, Paul wrote back to them to encourage those Christians still in the city, in the face of their ongoing experience of conflict. Because from Paul's perspective, silence wasn't an option. He looked around him at the Roman Empire and saw not a sweet system of mutual benefit, but a world dominated by evil, with humanity and creation subjected to the forces of violence and death. For Paul, the proclamation of Jesus as Lord was not simply a personal message of individual salvation. It was a message of good news for all people, for society, for the whole world. And that couldn't be silenced. And here's the thing. We are the heirs of that gospel of good news for all people. And we too are called to share a message that still has the capacity to turn the world upside down. And like Paul and Jason and the others in Thessalonica, we too will discover that when we proclaim that message, we will also face opposition. Taking a stand against the idols of our age is not an easy thing to do, and you don't turn the world upside down without rattling a few cages. Bloomsbury has faced opposition over the years for certain stands we've taken and continue to take, and this is to be expected. However, I wonder if we can hear Paul speaking to us through these ancient texts, encouraging us like he encouraged the Thessalonians to persevere, to keep the faith, to continue in acts of radical, courageous welcome and in caring for others and looking out for them. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor and Nazi resister who was murdered by the Nazis on the 9th of April 1945 for his stand against Hitler and the Third Reich, lamented how easily the church can become complicit with power and nationalism. He said, Christianity has adjusted itself much too easily to the worship of power. It should give more offence, more shock to the world than it is doing. Christianity should take a much more definite stand for the weak than to consider the potential moral right of the strong. Well, whether we're challenging the narratives of nationalism that lend legitimacy to state-sanctioned violence, or the cultures of religious exclusion that lead some to think of themselves as unworthy of God's love and acceptance, or the unspoken collusions of class that declare some lives less worthy than others, the proclamation of Jesus as Lord remains as politically, economically and socially disruptive as it ever was in the first century. So we will continue to declare the Kingdom of God over the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. We will continue to declare that God is love and that in God is no violence at all, which means that all violence is evil, whatever justification people may try to marshal for it. We will continue to declare that all are welcome in God's house because Christ died for all, regardless of their ethnicity, social status, gender, sexuality or any other marker of our common humanity. And we will continue to hold the powers that be in our world to account, whether they, whenever they place the values of the market over the value of human life, 
We will continue to resist the myths of nationalism and British exceptionalism when they whisper to our self-interest, suggesting that the sacrifice of the elderly and the vulnerable is a price worth paying for long-term financial gain. We've had to move our worship and witness online under lockdown, and for many of us this has not been easy, not only technically but also emotionally. The online world can be a vicious place, and those who seek to offer a Christ-like witness there will often face hostility and aggression. But we continue as the community we have been shaped to be, loving each other, looking out for each other, proclaiming together that Jesus is Lord of the whole earth, and challenging those narratives of violence, scapegoating and fear that keep people silent and subservient to the forces of domination. At the end of the day, for our faith to have meaning for us, it has to take shape in the world, and that shape will be world-transforming. We have a call to participate in the remaking of society through partnerships such as London Citizens, as we echo in our lives the call of Jesus to love our neighbours. From the Magnificat of Jesus' Mother Mary, singing that through her Son the world would be transformed, the theme of reversal runs through the Christian Gospel. We have a message of good news for those who have no hope, a message of life for those who live in fear of death, a message of love for those who hate either themselves or others. And such a message is a challenge to those powers that would keep things as they are. We, like Paul and Jason and Silas and Sylvanus and Timothy and all the unnamed women who stood with them, are called to seize the courage of our convictions and play our part in turning the world upside down. <laughs>